Good morning. Right, so um, expect lots of hallelujahs and amens in between. <laughs> and yeah, you can respond back if you want to, and if you can, no worries if you cannot. But I pray that the Spirit of God is going to teach us this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Good, you passed. <laughs> Let's pray. Thank you, Spirit of God, for this morning. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, God, that you're going to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Right, so um, I'm going to start off, I think last week, Gavin did an amazing job talking to us about the death of Jesus. And he spoke to us about how gruesome it was. And yeah, so I'm going to continue right from there. And we're going to see something about the burial of Jesus this time. And it's worth to note that um, the burial of Jesus is very important. And in this scripture, we see an amazing character called Joseph of Arimathea, who comes in to take charge of the burial of Jesus. So you're going to see the passage from Matthew chapter, is it up there? Yeah. Can you have the passage up there so we read it together? Is it okay to read it together? Good. Right. So Matthew chapter 27, verse 57 to 61. As evening approach, if we can go together. One, two, let's go. As evening approach, yeah. Right. Okay. We're all done, in it? Right. <laughs> so, we see that this passage is about Jesus being buried by Joseph of Arimathea in his own tomb. But it is very interesting to note that a lot of the time we speak about the death of Jesus. We speak about the, the, the resurrection of Jesus. We even speak about the birth of Jesus. But we hardly talk about the burial of Jesus, isn't it? But the burial of Jesus is also very important to our faith. Because the Apostle Paul speaks about the burial of Jesus as one of the things which are of first importance. When we say something is of first importance or primary importance, then what we're saying is that it is very important, isn't it? Right, so Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, if we can have that passage, tells us that the burial of Jesus is very important to our faith. Why? Because the burial of Jesus links two very important events, which is the death of Jesus and what? The resurrection of Jesus. Do we get that? So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Bible says, For what I received, I pass on to you as of what? First importance. Number one, that Christ did what? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And number two, he was buried. Number three, he raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and number four, that he appeared, all right? So appearing unto the saints was the fourth important thing, according to Paul. So we see four important things, the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus and the appearance unto the saints. We see people, we talk, we all talk about the death, we talk about the resurrection, but we skip the burial because it seems like, oh, it's just Joseph Arimathea putting Jesus in some tomb somewhere and that's it. 
But we see that it is important because for us to be confident that Jesus really rose from the dead and, and Jesus really died, when we see and understand that he was buried, then we can have that assurance that he indeed did what? He died. Because you cannot bury someone, ideally, who is alive. <laughs> right? So if he indeed died, or if he indeed was buried, then he indeed what? He died. Then we can be sure that if he died and was buried, then he resurrected. All right? So those are very what, important things. Now, Gavin said I'm from Ghana. So growing up in Ghana, I had my basic education in Ghana. And as part of my education, I was taught religious and moral education as a subject. And in religious and moral education, we see three religions in Ghana, Christianity, Islam religion, and the African traditional religion. And what we see is that all these three religions believe in three phases of life. Number one, birth. Number two, maturity stage. And that stage comes with a, uh, something that happens to people normally. But, um, what do you call it? Marriage and, and having your own family. And the final stage is the state of transition, death. And in all of these stages, it comes with some sort of ceremonies and some rites. Do you get me to this point? So at birth, there is a naming ceremony. At the, the, the grown-up stage, the marriage stage, and the family stage, there is a marriage ceremony. Now, when you die, there is a funeral ceremony or the burial ceremony, all right? And every culture has this to honor the dead. So back home in Ghana, now this is just fun part of my preaching, and that is it. We're going to get into the serious parts later. <laughs> so back home in Ghana... We have people do a lot of things to honor the dead. I'm, be, I'm pretty sure over here in the UK, we also do, and those of us from other countries, we have things we do to honor the dead. But in Ghana, you can have a tribe or a family hire someone to come and cry for the dead. You didn't get that. Listen, someone who don't know whoever is dead, but he or she is being paid to come and wail and cry and weep. Why? Because when the person cries and weeps, it tells those who came to the family that this guy was loved. This guy was important to the family. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I hope you guys, those of you on TikTok, Instagram, whoever on YouTube, you have seen the popular video of people carrying coffin and dancing around. It's also from Ghana. <laughs> so what's the essence of all of these? It's just in their own culture, or in our culture, it's to honor the dead, all right? So I believe in your own cultures, you have certain things you do to also honor the dead. Can we take this guy off? Yeah, the scripture, please. So, but when Jesus was killed, the culture of the Romans and the culture of the Jewish people concerning criminals who have been killed was not having people hired to come and cry, was not having people carry coffin around and dance for the person who has died. It is not being fancy black suits and black ties, sat in a place wailing and crying for the dead, all right? What it was, was either you were left on the cross to decay, to serve as a warning to anyone else who would pass by, and the person will be like, ha, ah, if this is how I'm going to be embarrassed, even after death, then I'm not going to commit any crimes. What is the point? So that the embarrassment of crucifixion, like Gavin said last week, follows you even 
after you are died, after you are dead. All right. So at this point in time, this was probably going to be the fate of Jesus. But then because it was preparation day going into Passover, then the Jewish culture would have to be followed. That is, they would have to be carried and be sent into a mass burial, onto, into a dump site where criminals were kept. Do we get to this point? So that was what? The faith of Jesus Christ at this point. At this point, he was supposed to be embarrassed even after death. But God wasn't going to have that happen. All right? So God sent in this man, Joseph of Arimathea, who Bible says he had become a disciple of Jesus. And Bible says that some other, uh, some other gospels emphasize the fact that he was a rich man. He was worthy. Uh, other also emphasize the fact that he was part of the Sahindrin, meaning that he was close to the corridors of power. Do we get it? So God brings in someone, listen to this, someone who is not very close to Jesus in the open. All right? Brings in someone who is like a secret disciple of Jesus to come and do something magnificent, which is to depart away from the usual culture of the Romans and the usual culture of the Jewish people for criminals. So that what will happen? So that the purposes of God would be fulfilled. What was the purpose of God? So that prophecy would be fulfilled. All right? So the reason why God brings in Joseph of Arimathea is so that the prophecy concerning Jesus would be fulfilled. And what is the prophecy? The Bible says, and we have the next passage, in Isaiah 53, that they made his grave with the wicked. Sorry, I didn't use NIV. This is King James. They made his grave with the wicked. Of course, he was supposed to be sent into the, the mass burial site. That was where his grave was supposed to be. But in the plans and purposes of God, he would be with the rich at his death because he had no violence in him. All right? So Jesus, even though the, plan, the, the culture of the Romans suggests one thing, God also had other plans for him. And God brings in someone who is not known to do this thing for what? For Jesus. Why? Because the, the, this is, is, is a sign that the new beginning had started. Listen to this. When Jesus died, Jesus made a remarkable statement. What did he say? That it is finished. And when he said it is finished, truthfully, it was finished. So every sort of embarrassment had to end because it is what? Finished. So every sort of embarrassment that comes with crucifixion had to come to a cease. So God makes sure Joseph of Arimathea comes in to fulfill this prophecy about Jesus. And look at this. The reason why this prophecy could be fulfilled is because Jesus had control over the situation even on the cross. He had control over the situation even on the cross. And this is what we see. We see him giving up his ghost, the Bible says. 
he, he, he shouted and said what? It is finished. And when he did that, he died. Can I tell you, if Jesus had not died at that particular point in time, one prophecy concerning him wouldn't have been fulfilled. And what's that prophecy? That none of his bones should be broken. So Jesus had control over the situation and had to die. Now the Bible says when they went to Pilate and asked him that can we have the body of Jesus and bury him because he's dead. Pilate was surprised. He, he couldn't believe it that the man was dead. Why? Because when people were crucified, it had a span of time it normally would take for them to die. But this was quite short. And it surprised Pilate that he was dead. So Bible says the centurion at the, the site when he saw Jesus die, and he saw all the signs around him, made a confession that this is indeed the Son of God. Because what had just happened is out of the normal. It's supposed to take a very longer time for him to die. But within six hours, he had died. And all of these miracles were happening. And all of a sudden, he believed that this is the Son of God. Do we get that? So the prophecy concerning him had to be fulfilled. And it's not just about prophecy. Even the laws of Moses had to be fulfilled. Bible says Jesus came to fulfill the law. No wonder when Jesus went to the mountain of transfiguration, it was the prophet Elijah and Moses who came. Why? Because again, in Exodus and in Numbers, the Bible speaks about the Passover lamb, that the law concerning the Passover lamb was that it shouldn't have a broken bone. So Jesus, being the ultimate Passover lamb for all of creation, didn't have to have what? A broken bone. So when they went to, to Pilate, Bible says they asked Pilate, because it is preparation day, shall we break the legs of these criminals so that we can what? Dump them at the site, we have to dump them. So we don't have any criminal hanging on the cross. So Jesus had taken charge of his body and has given up his ghost. And he had died. So by the time they got to him, broke the first criminal's bone, they got to him, at that point in time, the second criminal in their sights. But they didn't have to break his bone. Why? Because he had died. And they broke the last person's bone. So that prophecy concerning Jesus would be what? Would be fulfilled. All right. Now, let me see where I've got into. <laughs> right. All right. So there are two things I see with Jesus' death. What are these two things? Number one, the plans of God would be fulfilled. All right? So sometimes, as human beings, we are as Christians, even non-Christians, we know God is taking us somewhere. God is said certain things concerning us. And we want to see them happening, and it is not happening. But in actual fact, God makes sure that whatever he says happens. So God sees to his words, and that was why when it was very difficult at that point in time, because the Bible says all the disciples, the very close confidence, of, the, the very close friends of Jesus had run away. They couldn't stand what they were saying. It was so gruesome that they had to deny Christ. The Bible says Peter had denied Jesus on two solid occasions. Oh, sorry, on three solid occasions. All right? 
So they had left the scene, but God decided, no, I'm going to have someone. And God says that for my plans concerning Jesus to be fulfilled, I'll bring in someone who is not known, someone who has never been seen before. God brings Joseph of Arimathea to rescue the situation. All right. So I don't know what God has said about you. I don't know what you feel God is going to do with you or what God is doing with you that you're not seeing. But I just, I'm just hoping that this thing concerning Joseph of Arimathea, God bringing him to the scene, would encourage us to know that whatever God has said concerning our life, God would see it materialize in our lives. Hallelujah. We passed the second one. So <laughs> that is the first point we see. That God ensures that whatever he said concerning, concerning the situation is fulfilled regardless of how difficult the circumstances, regardless of how tricky the circumstances, he ensures that it is, what? it is fulfilled. Now the second point is that God uses anyone and anything to accomplish his purpose. All right? So Joseph of Arimathea, like we said, wasn't a regular person. He wasn't a known face. At that point in time, clearly, it was a risky decision he took. But he took it for Jesus anyway. Why do I say it was risky? He was part of the Sahindrin. And being a part of the Sahindrin meant that you were supposed to have some standards to follow, some codes to follow. So because of those codes, he couldn't come up in the open and say, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus. So in some of the other Gospels, it says that he was a secret follower of Jesus. But at this point in time, because God can use anybody and anything to accomplish his purpose, God brings him in and he avails himself to accomplish the purpose God wanted to use him for. You could have said that Joseph of Arimathea was at the end of the line. Far from Peter, who was, I, I, I wrote this about Peter, Peter who, who scots the revelation of, of the Son of God. Because when Jesus asked them, who do men say I am? Peter, by revelation, said, you are the Son of God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood had not revealed this unto you, but my Father in heaven. So in such a circumstance, you might have thought, oh, the friend, the friend, the very one of the close friends of Jesus, maybe Peter, James, and John, should come to Pilate and ask for the body of Jesus. But no. God brings him someone who, is, who was in his shells, who was hiding. And God uses someone who was scared to even come out and say that he's a follower of Jesus. Telling us that God can use anyone and anything. Now, I believe you probably are saying, oh, Joseph of Arimathea was quite rich. He was close to the corridors of power, so it's not surprising that he was used by Jesus. Yes, it is true. But can I also shock you and tell you that God can indeed use anything and, and, and anybody. Now, we see God again. Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 7, God brings in four disabled, rejected men at the time. Leprosy at the time was considered disability at the time. And it, it was considered to be unclean. So such people, Bible says, were kept outside the city. 
Bible speaks of these, these guys and says that they were at the gates of the city and they said one to another, shall we stay here and die? Because at the time, there was famine in the land. There, there was hunger in the land. There were two problems, actually. There was famine, and again, the people of Israel were at war with the people of the, with, with, with the Syrians. Are we here? So it was two very difficult situations. But because God can use anybody and anything to accomplish his purpose, when the prophet of God, Elisha, said that food is going to be sold very cheap, ideally, again, you would have thought, ah, there was a previous prophet before Elisha, Elijah, who was able to command fire from heaven. So those who believed probably would have thought that, oh, okay, maybe there's going to be something of that sort, a miracle of that nature. Maybe Elisha is going to command food from somewhere and then we can have lots of food in the land. But that wasn't the plan of God. God decided, I'm going to use four, lep- four, four leprous men to bring that sort of restoration. So the Bible says, when these people said one to another, shall we remain here and die? Then they said, shall we go into the city? When we go into the city, the famine is there, we shall die. If we stay here, we shall die. Why don't we go into the camp of the Syrians? If they save us, we shall leave. If they kill us, then we die. Bible says they arose at twilight and, walked and went into the camp of the Syrians. And when they got there, there was no one in the camp. These were four dejected, four rejected, four poor men. Unlike Joseph of Arimathea, who you would say was rich, was close to the corridors of power, these people weren't allowed to come into contact with the king. But God used the footsteps of these guys to bring restoration, to to solve the problem of hunger, and again, to drive away the armies that had attacked Israel. Bible says something remarkable, that when they went there, no one was there. And why? Because the people of, of the army of Syria, of, of Syria, God had caused in their ears to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, even the noise of a great army. And they said one to another, the king of Israel has gone to consult or call for the assistance of the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. And they fled. They fled leaving their horses. They fled leaving all the food. They fled leaving their jewelries. And it is strange that you go to war and you go to war with jewelries. And the people go there, those four guys, packs food, packs jewelries, go and hide them. Oh, Jesus. They come back, <laughs> packs again. And now they think, oh, are we doing good? We are not doing well. Shall we go and inform them? And even when they had gone, they didn't get access to the king. They had to inform the potter because they weren't found what? Worthy. Tonight, this morning, sorry, I used to preach a lot at night. This morning, it is important to understand that I'm not sure you, you, you are not accepted like those guys were. I'm not sure you have been placed outside the gates like those guys were. 
if you say you are not like Joseph of Arimathea, definitely you are also not like those guys. But if God could use them, and God could use these ones, then God can use you. And it is like the bell curve. That's why I have this here. So, just look at this keenly. So like a line, let's assume this is all the positive sides to life. And this is all the negative sides to life. Right? And let's assume this was where Joseph was. He was close to power. He was rich. All the good things you can think of in life. This is what it was. And God says, I can use this guy. Now, this is what the four leprous men were. They were poor. They were rejected by everyone. They were disabled. God says, I can use these guys too. So if you say you are not rich, you are not close to the corridors of power, and you think God can use you, I'm also telling you, you are not as poor as these guys were. You have not been rejected like these guys were rejected. You are not disabled like these guys were disabled at the time. You are not un considered unclean like these guys were. So if you are not here and you are not there, probably you find yourself somewhere between. And between these people and here, God can use everyone on this line. All you need is one thing. What was the common thing with these guys and these guys? They were willing to take a step. They were willing to make a move. They were willing to take that first step. And what happened? When they took that first step, God decided that I'm interested in this step you take it. So I'm going to be in that step. This guy was shy. Not shy. He was scared. When he took the first step, God says that I'm going to give you boldness. I'm going to give you favor in the sight of Pilate. He cannot reject your request. And he gives him, he grants him his request to have the body of Jesus. Now, it comes, it happens in life that we come into contact with very difficult situations. And we think that it, that is the end of it. But in those difficult situations, truth is, if you would take a step, if you would make that first move, God would bring himself in that situation because he is concerned about you, not just concerned about you, he is concerned about the step you are taking and he's going to be involved in that step you are taking. Do we get it to this point? So it is important to understand that God can use anyone and anything. Right, and there is a second part of the passage where they requested to guard the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Said, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I would rise again. So give the order for, for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take God, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. Listen to this part. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Now this is it. There is an irony here. 
If you indeed feel this guy is a criminal and you've done a serious act of terror to make sure this guy, the followers of these guys are scared and have run away. Can I say, the Pharisees were very smart. They were intelligent. They have gathered intelligence that the disciples had run away. They, they were just nowhere to be found. So who again is going to come and steal? The body of Christ. They were already scared for their lives. But they say he would come, they would come and steal the body of Christ. Now this is it. We can boldly assume that the reason they were scared or wanted the tomb to be guarded wasn't because of the disciples, no. It was because they knew Jesus had some sort of power. Now, whether in their minds, whether it was a positive or negative power, that is not what I'm talking about. But they knew he had some form of power. And how do I know? The Bible says at one point in time when Jesus was teaching, they went to Jesus and asked him, by what authority do you do these things? So they recognized an authority. So knowing that these guys are scared and there is no way they can come and steal the body of Jesus... Then indeed, you feared that probably that authority he had to do all he did would raise him from the dead. So it wasn't to prevent people to come and steal him. It was to keep him dead and sealed in the, in the tomb. Even if he rise, you stay in the tomb. But this is what God would do. God makes sure that in the coming chapters, Jesus rises from the dead. And it is interesting to understand that a Roman guard consisted of at least four soldiers. Not just four soldiers, four skillful, four professional, four top-notch, highly rated soldiers. At least. Some say they could number up to 16. Now, isn't it strange that all four, all eight, all six, whatever number it was, let's assume it was four, all four slept at the same time that the body of Jesus was stolen by the disciples. <laughs> Very professional soldiers. All four slept. Now, if they all slept, then it has to be a high power. Do we understand? Then it has to be a higher power that made all four professional soldiers to what? To sleep. So clearly, the, 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 what is the word to use? The thing they said when Jesus arose, that the soldiers slept and the disciples went to steal Jesus, definitely do not hold water. Our Jesus indeed rose from the grave on the third day and made a public ridicule of the enemy to the glory of God. I pray that the Spirit of God will grant us insight and understanding into his word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.